Hey everybody, I just want to take a minute to talk about our sponsor, Film is Truth. It's a locally owned and operated non-profit video rental store, and it's the last one in town. They have a collection of over 19,000 films in VHS, DVD, and Blu-ray, so no matter what platform you watch on, you can find the film you're looking for. They have a little bit of everything, but specialize in foreign, independent art house and documentary films, which is super cool because they likely have a selection that you won't be able to find in larger stores or even on some of the larger streaming platforms. Film is Truth is open from noon to 9 p.m. every day and can be found here in Bellingham at 1530 Cornwall Avenue inside of the Terra Organic Market. That's convenient for you because you can get your food and your films in one stop. If you are a non-local listener, then you can find them at filmistruth.com or at facebook.com at filmistruth. Alright, you lovely listeners, enjoy the show. Back Films Podcast, where we cover the things you never knew you wanted to know about movies. I'm your host, Keith. This is Byron. And I'm Jacob. <laughs> We're going with that one. Uh, that's your new new opener. <laughs> it's always slightly different. There's always something a little, a little new. Yeah, I like mixing it up. You know, it's the rule of threes, you know, so you guys say it the same way and I surprise um, and I get the <laughs> laugh. You know, I, every <laughs> single listener listening to that laughed simultaneously. I should change it up one day. You should. Yeah. Oh, God. Just if throw you do and that, don't tell I, us. <laughs> I'm not. I'm just going to be frozen. I'm not going to know what to do. I'm just going to. I'm just going to. My mouth agape, and that'll be my contribution to the podcast for the day. <laughs> uh, so our main topic this week is Andre Tarkovsky and the beginnings of what would become important cinematic milestones basically like you know this guy who's considered in the top echelon of filmmakers in all of cinema history um and we're gonna talk about his first film which is ivan's childhood which was released in 1962 uh in world war ii 12 year old soviet orphan ivan bondarev works for the soviet army as a scout behind the german lines and strikes a friendship with three sympathetic soviet officers uh, I don't know why they had to say Soviet three times in that description, <laughs> uh, but I just I pulled it from IMDb. So, uh, Ivan's childhood was written by, and I'm gonna butcher all of these names because they're all Russian, um, and it's just gonna happen. So, Ivan's childhood was written by Vladimir Bogomolov, Bogomolov, and Mikhail Popova. It was directed by Tarkovsky, and it stars Nikolai Berliev, Valentin Zubkov. Evgeny Zerikov, Stepan Krylov, and Nikolai Grinko. Uh, the second film, so we're not covering all of Tarkovsky's films. Uh, we kind of went back and forth. We talked to some listeners on preferences. What he did in the past is we covered like all of Tarantino, and it just kind of gets a little tedious. So we picked four films that we think, I don't know, kind of cover I'm it. I'm sure that due to like 
favorite list because I really like some of the films that we're not going to be talking about mm-hmm. Tarkovsky that I might pick those in the future for you know yeah some totally. sort of list so we'll probably cover all of them since his filmography isn't that you know big right down the road eventually yeah. <laughs> it leaves it's us only open. like six or seven movies yeah let's see uh we would have had when we first planned it out it was five parts so it was nine yeah nine movies i think it sounds yes, right. nine movies i think so is what it came out to be yeah um because i'm pretty sure it was it was either four or five parts it might be seven because yeah, he had the steamroller one Ivan's Childhood. It's Ivan's Childhood, Andre Rublev, Solaris, Solaris, um, Mirror, Mirror, Nostalgia, Stalker, Stalker, Nostalgia, and The and Sacrifice. Sacrifice. So was that? Yeah. yeah. So that's, that's eight. It was an odd number. So that's eight, but then with the then with the Steamroller one, which is like his 45-minute first that's, film, it's not like a full I don't length. think I counted that one. I see yeah, seven. That, so that would be... I see seven plus Steamroller. Okay, so, so it would be seven. Sure. So there you go. Oh, okay. I mean... I think it's seven. I know that it was odd numbered. Yeah. Yeah. Because one episode would have had a solo film, which wouldn't have worked as well. Um, so so we, just, next week we're talking about Stalker and... Um, the Sacrifice. The Sacrifice, yeah. okay. So... We, we, it's kind of interesting because there's two different things that kind of separate uh, his filmography. And that is like basically like his like theories about cinema right and after mirror that like switched and we're kind of like coincidentally doing that which yeah which is kind of interesting yeah no it's cool i i really i i felt stalker and the sacrifice would would be a very interesting coupling and then that would be an interesting like like dichotomy between this episode it's also important yeah. to cover i think the sacrifice too because he made that outside of russia yeah it was one of two films nostalgia is kind of a mix but yeah. uh the sacrifice was entirely out of russia yeah nostalgia is a crazy insane film it's really good but the sacrifice is interesting because it's it's his last film so i'm i'm right. looking forward to that discussion it's and it has really one cool. of the one of his most insane ambitious <laughs> shots too yeah uh, which I'm really excited to talk about. So, yeah. um, which is the house burning shot? If you're unfamiliar and with that one, what sucks is unfortunately for you guys because this will be your first viewing of it. The 4K restoration comes out after the episode. <laughs> oh, that's okay. Uh, I don't have a, I don't have a way to watch 4K anyway. So. Okay, yeah, but I mean, it's the one the version that you can see now. It's the Kino version, and it's not. It's only standard definition. So oh, this new version would be in, it would be still in high definition. There's no 1080 you know? Blu-ray um, remake. I think of that? there really? might be a Blu-ray of it, but I watch it. We were watching it on Filmstruck, so whatever Filmstruck has. So the sacrifice isn't on Filmstruck anymore, right? Oh, they just take it off. I they thought I saw it, it on there. They took it off a while back, but it's on Amazon. Um, uh, oh God, Prime. Amber- not Am- not Amazon Prime, but it's like you can buy it for like twelve bucks or something. The Blu-ray uh, like on Amazon. Okay, so the four K restoration is twenty eight bucks. The Blu-ray. On yeah, Amazon. and that comes out May twelfth or something like that. It's pennies, man. I mean, you got to have the way to watch that though. Yeah. You know, you got to have a four K TV. Right. And a four K player. Well, I think it's a four K restoration, but I think the Blu-ray is just you know just the regular ten eighty p. Oh, okay. Yeah. So like oh, the, Blu-ray plus 4K, yeah. so you get two in one. Yeah, which is pretty cool. So, 
Yeah, and 4K Ultra HD right now, those a lot of those go for like 30 bucks a pop. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. It's a good uh, And you good get some deal. really good special features on the Sacrifice. So God. going back a little bit, Byron, you just said it's a Kino version. What exactly does that mean? A, a Kino, Kino version. Kino is like a, it's just a video company. They distributed, they distribute like a lot of um, foreign films. Okay, wait, um, hold on. Kino International, it is a remastered edition. Right. So it is, it is, should, the quality should be HD. It's, it's yeah. a Blu-ray. I'm looking at it right now. It's a Blu-ray. It's going to be really, really nice. But no, this is different than oh, the 4 Oh, this is the, ra- the original This, is the, one. this okay. is the Kino one. Okay, okay, okay. So the, you can buy okay, on Amazon, cool. there's a Kino Sweet. version that's a remastered Blu-ray. Multi-format for 23 bucks. Shit. Uh, there's a Blu-ray for $76. Because <laughs> I, I I have the standard definition one, I think. Um, that's just, I have it on, I bought it, you know, for like, it's like a digital version that I bought. Sure. And it's, sure. A, and it's a standard definition. So I was looking forward to the 4K remaster because it's like, it's going to be, I saw the trailer to it online and I'm like, holy fuck. Like, it's like watching a movie, the movie again you know for the first time because it's like right. it's just so crystal clear it's like holy God, remastering shit. to me is so cool yeah like, just to have all these old films in a in a format that we're familiar with yeah. like, like really helps the trailer to the 70 millimeter print of 2001 that's coming out oh man that trailer i was like fuck man because i've only seen that movie on dvd you know because i've right. had that dvd forever and that's how i that's how i know that film so i i, I when i saw the trailer to it Oh my god! On in you know full HD and from the seventy millimeter print or whatever, I was just like, "Whoa, this looks so much better." I, know, <laughs> yeah. I have to see. I have to see. You can kind of movie. appreciate it a little bit more. Yeah, because you so. you get more, just that extra information and just that. It, it seems like you're getting a little bit closer to what people were viewing it like in the theaters. Yeah, how people yeah. actually saw it, and which and, is cool. And, and for me. What's so funny about Tarkovsky for me is most of his films that I watched, I watched on DVD when I was just getting into film. I'm, for some reason, my mom, for some weird reason, picked up a whole bunch of his DVDs like uh, at the library. And she's like, oh, these look like some ones that you would like. And she just she just randomly picked them up for me when I was in high school. And I would watch Whoa. them. And they were just DVDs, you know? And so then now when they're coming out on Blu-ray, it's like, oh, wow, I can experience them again, you know, because it's like it, 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 there is a big difference between just regular DVD and totally. HD, you know, like totally. <laughs> yeah. you've got a hip mom. I know. Like knows, yeah. She's like a fucking film theorist over here. Crazy. <laughs> You cut out there. I have no idea Dang what it. you said. But <laughs> I know. I uh, let's let's leave that to the recording. Yeah, okay, cool. okay. Well, but no, it was, it was about your mom, though. Okay, great. Like so she 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 knew Criterion. She she knew I loved Criterion films. So if she went to the library and saw a Criterion Collection film that she hadn't seen, like sitting at the door, you know, to, for her to drop off while I was at school, um, she would pick it up for me. Um, so she, I remember watching Solaris and Ivan's Childhood and um, Andre Rublev just because she picked him up from the library. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's, that's actually a resource people don't ever really think about. Is the library actually has a decent yeah. selection of DVDs. Yeah. I mean, they do. Free. I mean, I mean, the funny thing about it is, I just we didn't have internet or TV, so that's that's how I kind of branched out um, for films. Right, you know, this is the only the only outlet I had other than just going out to. 
buy them, you know, at Scarecrow or something. Right. <laughs> but it, one thing that is happening nowadays is there, there's this website called Canopy, and it's it's a film streaming site that you can connect to with your library card, uh, and essentially you can watch like these films on it for free as long as your library is supporting Canopy. Yep. Holy shit. You can do the same thing with books, actually. Same Um, with books? Yep. Mm -hmm. There's a couple of apps you can use. I have a couple where you just... And the only downside is that they use a a limited number function, just like the library only has a limited number of hard copies. It has a limited number of digital copies. Mm -hmm. So if someone has it checked out, you can't necessarily check it out. Uh, Um, But, you know, find the right book or movie in this case, and, you know, you, you got it, so... Yeah, um, but it's kind of cool because you don't need to like physically go to the library, which is such right. a drag normally. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> library hater over here. <laughs> well, it's kind of a. Dra- I mean, it's kind of like you go I in there the and there's like there. weird dudes like looking at porn on the computers. Oh, and- I know, which is so weird. I've seen that, man. That's fucking yeah. Surprised they don't like block that, but I know. Um, so before we get too far into this, I'll just talk about the second. Excuse me. The second film, real quick, uh, which is Solaris, released in 1972. A psychologist is sent to a station orbiting a distant planet in order to discover what has caused the crew to go insane. And Solaris was written by Frederick Gorenstein and Andre Tarkovsky, and it was directed by Tar- Tarkovsky. It stars Natalia Bondarchuk, Donat- Donatas Banionis, <laughs> Yuri Yarvet, and Anatoly Solinit- Solin. Solonitsyn. God dang, dude. Russian is just... <laughs> Russian's a tough language. Um, all right. So I'll give a little brief uh, Tarkovsky history here. And then I know Jacob's got some stuff to talk about. So Tarkovsky got a start in film after traveling. After returning home, he applied to and was accepted into the State Institute of Cinematography in their directing program. He began his studies right as the uh, Khrushchev Thaw was happening, which is a period of time when repression and censorship were relaxed and filmmaking went from a veteran art form to something more accessible. Sort of like, it's sort of akin to the revolution we're seeing nowadays, where like film and the process of making a movie was so expensive that not everyone could do it. Right. And then the concept of DSLRs came and it was just like, everyone can make a movie, right? <laughs> Um, similar, similar stuff. In this case, obviously, in Russia, it was more due to the censorship of it. But uh, basically, during this time, academics were introduced to more international literature and art. You know, they were able to get access to like American art or Japanese art, um, Middle Eastern art, and this is what really opened up Tarkovsky to this because he is was a huge fan of Japanese films. Yeah. Like he said, Japan was like like way ahead of the curve um and they had their style and what they focused on in imagery um just made a lot of sense to him so he uh this is funny too because i know jacob disagrees with this but he was also a strong believer in auteur theory even going so far as to say that it is a necessary condition for creativity Uh, and if you go back to i think uh, episode three our podcast we covered auteur theory pretty extensively with uh 
It was Yojimbo in Moonrise Kingdom, I think. That sounds yeah. right. That sounds right. Yeah, we were we were, we had some crazy ass combos. We, yeah, looking back, holy yeah. shit! Um, and that was almost exactly a year ago. Yeah, almost exactly. <laughs> um, so he, let's see. He also strongly believed that cinema was an art, and like all art, it must be emotional and act upon the heart. Um, his style, even in the early Ivan's childhood forces you to bear witness and be conscious of this and the tone of his movies. So of this idea of uh, film as art and, and trying to really impact you on an emotional level yeah. as opposed to just an entertaining level. Yeah. Uh, Solaris in particular has a very sparse soundtrack, which allows for the audience to decide on how they should feel. I mean, obviously there's points where there's music, but at the same time, you know, you're the, the suspense and the tension comes from the lack of music. Yeah. And how the mm-hmm. space station just kind of exists. Um, there's also like just a lack of sound in general. Yeah. Like I noticed that in Solaris, there wasn't a lot of like footsteps, you know, foleyed in there. Right, yeah. Um, the the sound was mainly like the main object. So if they were flipping pages through a book, you know, you'd hear that. Yeah. Or you'd hear them mess with something, but there, but that was the only sound yeah. that, that he really. And I don't know if that was limitations of technology or if it was intentional but it it does add a certain like uh, it adds a certain like feeling to it i guess yeah it's definitely intentional and you'll see when you guys watch the sacrifice and stalker how he even takes that way further in his later films i mean he really he really starts like kind of what i really like about him and what something that i took from him from a very this probably might be my takeaway a little early, but is his use of sound because he'll have extended shots like, you know, where you just hear water, Mm -hmm. you just hear water, you know? Right. And that's like all you, all you hear, but it's, it somehow, uh, it just forces you to, to, to kind of just take in those extended takes in a different way because you're you're hearing something that you're not you you're not really accustomed to hearing right you know like, right <laughs> you're expecting because american films like you have to layer so much sound yeah you know every little thing a person does you know someone goes through and adds a layer of sound yeah. to it especially footsteps but like <laughs> if right. they touch a doorknob if they touch a pen yeah. if they whatever happens there has to be a sound attributed to it yeah. otherwise we because like even if you really hear sound, that's why like you know space films or films that happen in space are hard because there's no sound in space. Right. Yeah, but we want to hear sound, you know. So you have this battle like you go through of like, okay, do we put the sound in there and forego the like hard science aspect of it, or do we not put the sound in there? Yeah, and really like you know in two thousand one they like just have music. Yeah, you know, or Gravity they use the music soundtrack to create sound. You know, right. so it's kind of a balance. And it's interesting because as a human, you know, our ears are taking in all the sounds that were that are around us, mm-hmm. but our brains aren't registering all of it, or they you know? filter it. Maybe, yeah. yeah. It's like it's like it's it's like we filter it. Um, where you know, I could be outside on a windy day, and cars are passing by, and I and I am attuned to the cars and the sounds that the cars are making but i'm not necessarily attuned to the trees that are nearby and the leaves right. you know yeah it's interesting it's like i'm hearing them but i'm not 
registering them right whereas with film you can control that and that's what i find tarkovsky is he's like i want the audience to to pick up this particular sound out of all the other sounds Mm -hmm. you know right and that that's the whole idea of room tone you know when you when you go out to go capture your audio on set you want to uh record just like some random sounds or just like the general sounds of wherever you're recording to pick up that room tone because you want that consistent sound to be played over so people can just block that out really easily right because <laughs> yeah. it's you super know, so obvious that. when you have like a line of dialogue and then it cuts to no sound right like yeah. and yeah. it's jarring yeah it's super it's jarring. super jarring and it's like ugh, and like you <laughs> just kind of hate it you, it's true you really do yeah regardless of how beautiful the shot is yeah. Absolutely. Uh, so it's interesting that you brought up water, though, because um, he utilizes water as a, a central symbol of his work, and yeah. Yeah. kind of in similar ways to the later filmmaker Malick. You know, I think Malick oh, kind yeah. of took from Tarkovsky. Shit, I didn't think of that. Um, because Malick's filmmaking is very, sim- very much symbolized around earthly things, right? You know, Tree of Life. Um, the very last shot of the Thin Red Line is like. Yeah kind of like a puddle of water in a desert with a plant growing out of it you know it's like <laughs> sure. it's very much like he's he's very tarkovsky in, in that his work is poetic uh so you know and then like you know solaris this first opening shot of solaris is water mm-hmm. and you know and he spends like how much time watching the plants and like the last shot of solaris is the same shot yeah. of the plants in sure. the water um so and that's a continuing theme throughout his work is and there's more that he uses but i think water is really like yeah the, the it's, symbol it's interesting because like water does so much with light like film does you know mm-hmm. um it's such a uh it really can augment so much stuff i mean you look at blade runner 2049 and the scenes you know um where jared leto's sitting in that area and the, yep. the way the light's yeah. reflecting the water and how it makes yeah. crazy you know effects on the walls and then like how and like solaris you know um how you know a filmmaker like alejandro gonzalez and could like film a tree swaying in the the wind or whatever right but he chooses to 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 shoot weeds underwater mm-hmm. it's like he, it's he's he he likes to augment things with water all the time totally you know sure. like he'll have in not so much these films that we're talking about today, but in other films that he does, you know, he'll have just buildings that people live in that their walls are just completely saturated with water. Like yeah. they're living in, in buildings that are are really uninhabitable. Mm-hmm. But for the film, it brings a whole other meaning to it. Right. Um, and he, he uses water as like a lens of sorts where Absolutely. he's really he's actually fucking with light because if you film a wall without water on it, it's going to look completely different with water, you know, with a wall. So it's, it's interesting in how like the, just the nature of film and how film without light is, is not, you know, you can't have a film without light. So, um, it's interesting how he ties all that together. Um, and I think like, you know, I think Kubrick gets the, uh, He's the guy that everyone is like, oh, he's the detail-oriented, crazy, you yeah. know, everything in his film was so thought out. And I think 
even more so. I feel like Tarkovsky's really yeah. the guy who's like, I mean, he was firing people. He was having there was tensions on set, like yeah. because he was so adamant about his vision. Um, even though you know, with every filmmaker, there's positive and negative, right? right? They're artists. It's how that works. But I think you know, <laughs> overall, I think he was a positive filmmaker, and it, and but he's the guy who was like really yeah. detail oriented yeah. because his shots were so long. And the shots have required so much depth in the frame. Yep. You can't just screw around with that. And it's, right. it's funny. I mean, Kubrick and Tarkovsky are such an interesting pair to talk about because there are so many parts of them that are so similar, yet there's so many, there's like vast differences as well. But something that's interesting to me is that Kubrick, you know, really was known of taking like a lot of takes. Right. You know, like 70 takes just to, of Jack Nicholson of, you know, right. chopping down the, the wood door in The Shining, you know, stuff like that. And the Tarkovsky isn't known for taking a lot of takes, um, whereas like David Fincher is, but he's he's known for these super like these shots that that have to be executed perfectly, mm-hmm. and if they're not, they're they're not going to they're not they're not going to be good. But he always managed to. But he because, always managed. And to you're do right. It. Like he was known for like you know these. There was, I can't remember the, I was just reading about this, but I can't remember which film, but there was a specific film where the, it required, he did so much preparation in the weeks and days leading up yeah. to the shot that the shot only required one take. Yeah. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah, because I mean, he just, he knew, he just, is his vision, his internal mental vision was so literal to translate yeah, yeah. that it was so strong that it was just like okay, there it is. Yeah, and his he was very demanding. Kubrick was demanding, but demanding in the sense of like if he didn't get it, he would continue to go for it. Whereas right. Tarkovsky, I think, was like, like no, you're off my movie yeah. if you don't get it. Right, and that was that was on the table before they started filming. Right, so it right. D- the demand was so much better, and I think that also comes from the fact that he's a Soviet filmmaker or came from that, you know. He was only given so much film stock and so much money to make the films. And if he didn't get it, he wouldn't right. have a movie because they're only going to give him so much shit to work with. And how many takes right. can you do when you need to have a bunch of long takes? You exactly. can't afford to have feet and feet and feet of film yeah. for one shot one angle yeah. when you need to have, you know, his movies are long. His movies require a lot of patience and it requires you to sit through long yeah. takes and you got to have the film to do that because film is a finite physical resource. Yeah, I mean, I mean, his shortest movie is The Mirror, and all the other films are well. And then it would be Ivan Childhood. All his other films are over two hours long. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, like, he demands attention. I know probably later we'll be talking about his book sculpting in time and his theories about that. But yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. Well, one thing that would kind of branching off of what you guys are talking about, it, and it actually comes from his. His book, uh, um, Sculpting in Time, is he was talking about the uh, actor who was in Solaris, uh, Donatus Banianis. Yeah, right. Yeah, I don't know how to say it. <laughs> but essentially, he, he said uh, about about this guy. Unfortunately, I never developed a working relationship with Donatus Banianis, who was the main part in Solaris, because he belongs to the category of analytical actors who cannot work without knowing the why and the wherefore. Right. And I yeah. just thought that was kind of interesting because um, this is a director who is very like, this is my vision, 
and don't don't fuck with it and it, it's to the point where he is so comfortable with not giving the act like like he knows so much about what he needs that he feels like he doesn't need to give the actor what the actor thinks that the actor needs so like um i'm not i'm not sure how to i'm not sure how to explain this enough no i get it yeah it's funny because like you know we we say tarkovsky is like this filmmaker that every you know like he's so high up in the echelon of filmmakers that people pull from him that you get people like lynch who's the same way yeah. Where he doesn't give yeah. his actor, actors anything to work Nothing. with. Yeah. No explanation. And that's <laughs> such a Tarkovsky thing yeah. to do. You know, and somehow they pull out these weird, like, I don't know, like, just these weird movies where, yeah. and these weird performances from actors. Right. And, you know, it proves that, you know, it's it, film is kind of this weird, like, on a need to know basis thing. You know, there's yeah. a couple of people who know the whole picture, and the rest of the people don't really need to know the whole picture, yeah. even if they think they want to know it. And you can still get a movie out of it. You know, a movie like Solaris, which is a fucking complex movie. Yeah. You know? Sometimes people just need to, like, know the amount to do their job. Sometimes people just need to know what they need to know to do their job, and that's it. Like, they don't need to know, like, what the marketing material is, you know, like even like the director isn't in charge of cutting the trailer in right, a movie. Right. I mean, maybe in like lower budget or I don't know how it is in Russia, but like that, like separation is really important for people to do their jobs. Well, cause if you have the fucking gaffer coming over and questioning a directorial choice of the film, then it's like, that's such a waste of time. <laughs> right. You know? yeah, yeah. And time is money. Yeah. And time is money. And especially in, in, in Soviet Russia, you know. Yep. Well it's funny, uh Solaris is um Tarkovsky's least favorite film of his of the films that he's he did. Mm-hmm. And uh yeah. a lot of it is said to have been attributed to the fact that uh, about the actors. Um the only actor that he liked supposedly in the film is Natalia, um, who plays Hari or Harry, Hari. Um they ended up having a relationship, though, didn't they? You know, I'm not entirely sure. Was it entirely sure. It wouldn't surprise me. Um, but yeah, I mean, she, she, and, and honestly, I think she's the star of the show. Uh, um, yeah. What's her? What's his name? Um, the guy that we were just talking about. Uh, Donatas. Uh, yeah. Donatas you know, Banianis. He, he, he's 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 basically a blank slate, which works for the film because, you, you, as a viewer, you can project what you want um on him um sure he doesn't that's a common lead man yeah thing. he doesn't or, yeah yeah he doesn't like emote a lot um but what's interesting about tarkovsky's characters in general is that they normally don't emote a lot but uh there's something about his performance that does differ from like all the, the other like leading men um mm-hmm. in tarkovsky's work um and i, I just don't i think he just I think Tarkovsky had trouble um, with genre. He didn't like genre. Right. Um, so with sci-fi, uh, I think he, he, it came out, I think his weakness kind of came out in this film with with the main character. Yeah, he says, interesting. says he viewed Solaris as an uh, artistic failure because his film did not transcend genre as he believed his film Stalker did right. due to the required technological dialogue and special effects. Yep. Um, and you know Solaris is interesting too because really the sci-fi part 
the sci-fi aspects of it only exist to because the story can't be told any other way. Like, yeah. The sci-fi, even the author and Tarkovsky were like, you know, the sci-fi parts of it are not really that important. No. It's not yeah. about that. It's about the, well, in Tarkovsky's case, case, it's about the struggle between two lovers. In yeah. the book's case, it's more about the uh, existential crisis when confronting such a being whose intellect is so far surpassed humans, you know. And then, ironically, Soder, Steven Soderbergh, who remade this film, he changed it even further, mm-hmm. and he did it so that it was mainly about the romantic relationship between him, the main character, and his wife, um, right. and the and the feeling of um, loss and um, right. and and regret, regret. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's interesting. Even though Soderbergh's is actually considered to be closer to the book than Tarkovsky's, but Tarkovsky's you know his version is the film that we all um every you know everybody knows right yeah right um so just to kind of round it out here before we jump to what jacob has to say i just want to say that uh his most influential idea is what he later used as the title of his book which is the quote sculpting in time um he believes cinema has the unique ability to alter time or allow you to experience things in real time long takes allow for us to experience the action in real time while cuts can easily jump thousands of years later such as with 2001. Yeah. And what we don't, what we haven't mentioned yet either is that 2001 came out only a couple years before this. Yeah. And I feel like the influence of that film on Tarkovsky is very obvious. Well, it's funny, Tarkovsky didn't see the movie until after. He no way. He no way, yeah. dude. Okay. Yeah. Well, then and fuck me for what I just said because well, I was wrong. It's, but. It's, well, it's interesting because Tarkovsky um, didn't see it until after and he hated it. He hated 2001. He said Makes that it sense. was. He said that it was the complete opposite of what he was going for with Solaris, yeah. because, yeah. and that's why I was going to bring up Kubrick because you guys had brought him up earlier, which is great. Which Kubrick and Tarkovsky are such an interesting pair, because Kubrick, what he did with 2001 was he showed, he he, he was showing science. You know, it was very hard. It's, science. It's yeah. hard science. It's it's mm-hmm. it's like how long would it take for the docking bay doors to open and for someone to grab, you know, uh, float in gravity and stuff. Tarkovsky was not interested in that at all. What he was interested in was this like emotional and like spiritual and human aspect of science fiction. Right. Um, so his film takes, you know, when you see it like it. it there isn't hardly any hard sci-fi in it, really, like you said. Because it's mm-hmm. like, you know, the, the hardest sci-fi that you see is when he's like, when you see the ship, when you see the spaceship, the station or whatever, before he, before he gets on it. And then, and then just the, the ship itself when you're inside. And that's yep. basically it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, even the idea of going to Solaris... Like, we don't know where the planet is. We don't yeah. know how far away it is. We don't know how long it would take to travel. Like... If you start to look at the film from a scientific perspective, yeah. it completely falls apart, right. which is obviously not the point. Right. So if you you don't sure. look at it from that. But it's um, so funny because 2001 and Solaris are considered to be probably the top two or top in the top five science fiction films of all time. Mm-hmm. Right. So like it's interesting that they that they had such different um, goals and right uh, ways of bringing their films together but one can also write a whole book about the the similarities of the two too 
sure you know so it's yeah. it's it's fascinating um we could probably do a whole episode of you know stanley kubrick's barry linden versus tarkovsky's nostalgia and ha- further that this whole discussion but um <laughs> um well, it's, it's uh, kind yeah. of interesting because it, it, it seems like one of the, the biggest differences that Solar, Solaris is a movie for feelers, while 2001 is a movie for thinkers, you know. But Tarkovsky credits himself as more of a thinker. Yeah. Too, yeah. Which, which, which is weird because for, in, in my eyes watching this Solaris movie, it feels more like a feeler kind of movie like like the the humanity of it and the emotional aspects of it while 2001 seems a little bit more of of like logistical yeah i mean right i i'm i kind of agree with you i don't when i watch uh solaris i don't feel it as like a feeler movie at all i i view it as a thinker movie but i view 2001 as very logistical and technical Yes, it's like an yeah, exer- okay. it's like an exercise in in technical wizardry on all levels, and then I feel that Solaris is more. Um, it's about it's it makes me think it makes me think far more than two thousand one. <laughs> two thousand one, I can just watch and just be in awe of what I'm watching. You know, absolutely, just yeah. a visual spectacle of it is just. I mean, it's the it's the it's the finest film of spectacle versus um, narrative. It's, 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 it's the film to just put in anyone's face that says, you know, oh, you have to have film plot and everything. It's like, no, fuck you. You don't at all. (laughs) Um, It's, it's the perfect film for that. Whereas Solaris, yes, it's visually sumptuous for sure. It's, it's a beautiful film to look at, but I'm, I find myself thinking about it more than I'm actually like, oh, I remember this shot. You know, when I'm watching, I'm like, oh, God, this shot's going to come up with that cool fucking lens flare as he's walking down the hallway, you know? Yeah. But I'm going to remember that. But I'm also thinking about, oh, man, like, you know, his wife, you know, she she's in this continual um, wheel of killing herself. But it's not really his wife, you know? Mm-hmm, right. Like, you know, all this stuff. And it makes me just think and think and think and think. And that's, for me, the biggest difference, um, too, uh, of of like what of like what you were saying but i do understand how it is more of a feel movie you know because sure um especially out of all of tarkovsky's work because and i think maybe that's why he didn't like it as much i mean that scene when the anti-gravity scene in solaris is is strike it, it strikes so many people as very moving um because it's at one point in the film where the two characters can literally literally um the weight of everything is 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 off of them and they can just experience each other um and that's that moves a lot of people um so it's interesting i mean there's nothing like that in 2001 no absolutely not um so i'm looking at this list from thrillist.com um and this is the 50 what they consider the 50 best sci-fi movies of all time number one 2001 (laughs) number 10 solaris okay so it's in top 10 so uh, in works. between that, you have Planet of the Apes, The Fly, okay. uh, Brazil, E.T., oh, Frankenstein, e. <laughs> Alien, Star Wars, <laughs> Children of Men, and then Solaris. Okay, I agree with all those except for fucking E.T. <laughs> I'm surprised Terminator 
isn't on there. It's on that list of it's in there. I'm sure. Yeah, but I'm surprised it's not in the top ten. I'm trying to find it here. The thing is number twelve. Oh, cool. Matrix at 14, Blade Runner at 15. I was going to say, Blade Runner should have taken the spot of E.T. I mean, come on. Terminator, okay, so Fury Road <laughs> is 17 and Terminator's 18. And Terminator's well, interesting that you mentioned that because Tarkovsky hated yeah. commercial film. Yeah. Except the Terminator. He had good things to say <laughs> about that's, that's Terminator. I, <laughs> I, I, I thought so, too. Uh, he he had he said Terminator kind of had this way of showing and talking about the future and the ideas of it he was very impressed with. I, um, I mean, I just love the idea of seeing Tarkovsky go to a fucking theater and watching the Terminator. Right? Watching the, I, I mean, that is just hilarious imagine. to me. I can't imagine. <laughs> because he was known to be very... Um, disrespectful and uh during film screenings at the Cannes film festival he was watching um a film by um or no at the telluride film festival he was watching a uh a film by stan brackage you know avant-garde experimental filmmaker and he would he would stand up during the screening of the film and be like film is supposed to be like this and he would go on these things like these like like sentences you know of of shit that he would say to, about the film that he was watching, and he had huge disagreements with Stan Brackage, and and which is you know fucking hilarious. Um, so the the fact that he would go to a Hollywood film cracks me up. That just I can't it's hilarious. You can't picture it. You really yeah, can't. No, like, it's it's, it's like he's like the most extreme form of a hipster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what's so funny about him is that he yeah I think I think he would turn in his grave knowing that hipsters like his work because. I think oh, he, totally. Because he, he, because he views himself as, a, as like a humanist intellectual in a sense. I think you know, like, sure. um, I mean, and, and and we have to, we we can't have a discussion about Tarkovsky without talking about Ingmar Bergman as well. They had a very strong, strong bond, friendship to, um, and Ingmar Bergman has has said many times, had said many times that um, Tarkovsky was the finest filmmaker yeah he said ivan's childhood absolutely revolutionized his thought on film yeah and you can see Mm -hmm. that in bergman's work i mean the the work that he did in the 50s like wild strawberries and the uh the virgin spring and stuff like that and then you see the films like hour of the wolf and um persona and uh shame and these other films that he did in the 60s after ivan's childhood came out it's it's a huge difference um, it's all, it's very odd too because like the filmmakers respected their others' works. Yeah, like I mean, yeah. of his top ten favorite films, uh, three of them are Bergman. Right. Uh, Tarkovsky's yeah, favorite yeah. films, three of them are Bergman. Yeah. And then Mizuguchi, Mizuguchi's in there. Uh, Kurosawa. Kurosawa's in there. Um, yep. So it's yeah, um, yeah. The, the, he said that there is very few directors who actually understood the language of cinema and he could count them on one hand. Right. <laughs> right. Exactly. Which, yeah. And uh, yeah, Bergman and all those guys you mentioned were, were on there, but it, it it's, it's kind of interesting that uh, he was so like focused on this particular style of filmmaking, mm-hmm. you know? And, yeah. and um, I think he totally, uh, I think he would really like to be living in our century, 
and making films nowadays with all the tools of color correction and stuff because that's something I kind of noticed with, with both of these films is how he plays with the color and the color timing and all that shit. However, at the same time, I think he would be just so upset with social media and <laughs> like the videos that would appear on his Facebook feed if he had one. Um, yeah, no, you're right. You know, it's like I feel like he could just couldn't handle that and he would just kind of live in his own world with with his own color correction. But I feel like I kind of I kind of think that he was born in the wrong era. Like, I, I think he would like the digital camera. Oh, I hear that he would love. Well, that's I think so, too, because the digital camera opened up long takes in a way that just film. Yeah. I mean, he could never have anything longer than, you know, like a 10-minute take. Yeah, yeah. I mean, really? Yeah, yeah. And I think if he was able to sit there for, I mean, I could see him making a full, well, I couldn't see him making a full film of one long take, but having very much yeah. longer long takes, I mean, uh, I could see that happening. Another filmmaker that you can also start talking to Tarkovsky about would be like Bellatar. I don't know if you guys are familiar with him, but... He did like a movie called The Tour and Horse that came out a while back, and it's it's again it's it's very similar to like neo um, neo realist uh, Italian films where it's extended sequences. I mean, I'm talking it, this movie is close to three hours long, The Tour and Horse, and um, it's shot in super crisp black and white. And I think uh, uh, Keith would love the cinematography of this oh, movie. Sure. It came out a couple years ago, and it's black and white, and it's literally you're watching a guy like on this carriage for like 15 minutes and that's all you're fucking watching wow, there's man. no dialogue there's nothing and it's so what just to interrupt you real quick so when you say neo-realism you mean like that this is like extreme like real life yeah uh, yeah filming yeah if it, if it if it takes two minutes for the character to walk to this neighbor's door we'll be watching him walk to the neighbor's door for two Got minutes it. you know Got it's it. it's it's extreme um thing where the idea of the film comes from the fact that it's it's real not that it's heightened that because because film can do both sure and and that's what's so interesting with tarkovsky because you can you can see almost an internal struggle too there because he has these extended sequences but he also has them so stylized that you mm-hmm. wouldn't see them in real life. You'd only see them in dreams or nightmares, but the timing that it's taking place in is something that you could only have in real life, not in a dream. So right. you have these two things that are that are together, and that's why when you watch his films, you're left with, with remembering them in a completely different way than you'd remember a regular film. A regular as in like just a genre film. Um, so I don't know. There's so much to talk about with Tarkovsky. <laughs> yeah, that, that's interesting. That's interesting, and that really like kind of summarizes his idea of, of of sculpting in time with with movies, and that and that's something that he focused on for his first four or five films. Um, I think it was up 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 to Mir. He he was kind of uh, talking about this idea of sculpting in time, and I'll just kind of quickly summarize this real quick. Uh, so this is from his book, Sculpting in Time. Um, So by this he meant that the unique characteristic of cinema as a medium was to take our experience of time and alter it. Unedited movie footage transcribes time in real time. By using long takes and few cuts in his film, he aimed to give the viewer a sense of time passing, time lost, 
and the relationship of mo one moment to in time to another. So it's just uh, it's kind of fascinating. And we kind of mentioned earlier uh, with Solaris how it just kind of like we're not sure how much time it actually takes to get to the to the planet. It just kind of cuts there, and it, it feels like you're like missing this like chunk of the movie. Where in uh, American films, maybe you would probably get like a montage of some kind. Uh, even even in uh, Avatar, the you know James Cameron movie, uh, you know speaking of American filmmakers, you you still like as they're traveling to the planet, you get like those middle shots that kind of summarizes the experience of getting there. Right. But it doesn't really add anything to the like to the themes of the film or to the central emotional idea or the idea of humanity uh, where Tarkovsky is so focused on like what his film is about that he's only going to include stuff that uh, aids that central so, idea. So for Solaris, what do you guys think of that extended scene of like the cars and they, and they're driving through the highway and to the, that, you know, that they, to me was the travel. That is the travel. Yeah. 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 yeah okay. Like it's, it's like this, strange combination and and he did it in such a unique way that it's hard right. to uh not appreciate because yeah. there's there's so many predictable ways you could do the traveling sequence and he chose to do it with sound and with traveling in a car like almost like to the location i thought that was incredibly unique and and awesome and i was kind of in awe <laughs> like yeah, during yeah. that uh during that time because it was so creative yeah that's and interesting it, and it's like all in shot in tokyo and it's this foreign yeah you know landscape and it would be definitely foreign to tarkovsky you know and and then it just is then it cuts to like you know his eyes and, and yeah then you're in the station it's just it's incredible it's and it's, and the, it's the exposure in that scene so like when they're going through tunnels it co goes completely black and there's just lights that you yeah, see. Yeah. And it's very like visually, uh, um, me um, visually metaphorical. I think maybe is a way to say it. There's probably a better way to say it, but like the image of that is, is very similar to that of which you would see on like launching up a, a spacecraft, like, right. a, or like an airplane runway. Yeah. Like that's those are those lights are, are what you you're seeing when you're like taking flight. Yeah, and I thought that was really interesting to like expose it in a way that made it feel like you were taking off hmm. from a spaceship. That's yeah. a good way to think about it because I had a hard time figuring out what the point was. I mean, okay. obviously yeah, it's yeah. so long. Yeah, right. It's a, it's not a short sequence. It's yeah. a couple minutes of a car driving, cutting yeah. into this guy. You know, and <laughs> I, I was just having a hard time figuring out the point. Yeah. But when you guys say it like that, like this idea of taking off, like since there is no real shots of travel you know there's the fake shot of stars or yeah. whatever but that is the travel that is the guy going from point a to yeah. the space station i mean I, I, have you guys see, how many times have you guys seen this film this is the first Just time once okay so i'll be honest first time i saw it i had no idea like i was like what like that whole sequence i had no idea what the fuck that was that was about and it wasn't until like the second or third time where I was like, "Oh my god, that's like him, you know, actually traveling." You know, to, like I didn't get that because he's he he also has, has a thing where when his big thing was he loved this making the first thirty minutes of the film. So if you didn't like the first thirty minutes, he would he would nothing will happen 
for the first 30 minutes of any of his films. And then all the people that are waiting for something to happen will leave, and then he'll reward the people that stay. And he loved that idea. He was very, like, cynical. What an asshole. Yeah, no, yeah, he was very like that. He's like, I will reward the people that sit through the first 30 minutes of my film, Um, you know, uh, which is great, um, because he wanted them to have the payoff is is what he wanted them to do. And he had this thing where he would he would film an object or a scene and it would go on and on and on and it would be longer than what most people would do which then it becomes boring but then it's so long and it continues to continue on that then the person goes okay there's a reason why it's going so it becomes boring and then they get out of that boredom and they start thinking about what they're watching Mm -hmm. and that's what he was so interested in doing and this whole sequence, I think, is a perfect example of that. And he does yeah. that in all of his movies. And that's that's literally what happened to me. You know, because my experience watching this movie, I was on my couch. And I had my phone in my pocket. And I, I would sit and watch. And I anytime I hear dialogue, I would, I would really try to focus on what they're saying. <laughs> but occasionally, I'd find myself with my phone out. Mm-hmm. You know? And I, I would... Just be like looking at a messenger thing or something, and then that scene happened where it's like the car thing, and I was like, "What is this sound design? This is so odd." And I pulled my phone out because it was like, "Okay, I'm not missing anything." Phone is out, and then I put my phone away, and this scene is still going. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, "What is happening?" Take my phone back out, and I don't have. I I took Facebook off my phone because I don't want to. I, I waste so much time on Facebook on my phone. I'd rather just do it on the computer. Uh, so r- when I pull my phone out, it pulls me out of the movie, but not for very long. So I can get back into it easier because I don't have Facebook uh, on my phone. And so eventually I'm just like, it's still fucking happening. Like my phone was out like three different times. And then that's when I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do the fucking math here. You know, like I'm going to, I'm going to sit down and figure out what this scene means and and that's when i was like this I, and and i was like this is really odd and i put it in the back of my mind and then later they they use the same sound design in the, in the tunnel scenes with the driving they they use that same stuff later and it's and that's when it dawned on me like almost two thirds of the way through the movie that that was the tra- that was him traveling like that that was where, when i figured that out so it, it, it was just kind of interesting like this movie or and it seems like his movies really you need to sit in the theater to watch them because like without so, yeah uh, with, like because he's doing this thing like sculpting in time you really just can't understand it if there is any distraction at all uh in your household or anywhere and that that kind of that kind of sucks you know because it's really hard to watch at home i i love it it makes it so great to watch it in theaters because it's this like unique theater experience and it's it's one of those things where any reason to go to the theater for me is like like give me a reason and i'll go like any anything you know i went to go see the quiet place because it was uh because everyone was completely silent during the movie and for me, that was amazing. So fucking just give me a reason. And this is like a solid reason to 
like go see it in the theater without distractions you really get that sculpting in time and that this is something that like netflix just can't do yeah at all he demands so much he demands so much attention um which i think he'd have a big like you said earlier a big problem with like social media and um he probably wouldn't be a big fan of netflix um in the in in the sense of like (laughs) one can just like tune you know turn something on um but yeah tarkovsky is like the best example of something that you have to basically just put everything aside and really just concentrate on what's before you Mm -hmm. which i love that i love that you can completely escape in his movies that's my biggest thing is like it's it's about what he created you know it's yeah. so it, he's even said himself that his films demand patience yeah and yeah the only word i mean not the only word the first word i would use to describe his films at least i mean obviously i've only seen two well obviously but i've only seen two um but from my understanding of his filmmaking and these films is meditative yeah it's very meditative yeah. it's very philosophical and if you're someone who I mean, I have a, I have trouble focusing on things, you know. I've never been diagnosed it, but I'm sure I have some <laughs> form of ADD. <laughs> where like I, you know, that's one of my problems in school is I was never able to. Like, yeah. Come on, man! I can't sit here, you know. Yeah. Um, Get to the fucking point. Exactly. <laughs> um, and and Tarkovsky is is if you have ADD, good, you know, good luck. You're gonna have to really <laughs> consciously sit down and be like, okay, yeah, this is, and this is why I agree with Jacob too, with like the the theater, like. His films demand, I mean, if any films are cinematic in the sense of you have to watch yeah. them at the theater, yeah. I mean, it's Tarkovsky. It's like, <laughs> right. it, this is the only way because you'll feel weird pulling your phone out and the only thing you have is the screen yeah. you know, and your food or whatever, obviously, but you know, you have the screen and that's it. And that's the way that you have to watch his stuff. Otherwise, you're just going to be like... You know, Solaris. I was I was very much captured with it though. Cool. It's very much Sweet. like you know. Okay, I want to. Nice. This is Solaris and Stalker. Or Stalker is the one film I really want to see by him. I cannot Solaris, wait to have this discussion. Solaris was right after, because the rest of his films, I know I, I'm sure that I will get something from them. But the the human drama aspect yeah. of it, I kind of don't care as much about. That's why I really like 2001, like because we said earlier, it leaves a lot of that behind. Yeah. Um, but I think like I, with Solaris, I was like, you know, I really just like I want to watch this and get yeah. something from it because I did want to, I really wanted to see it. Um, so you really have to go in with that mindset of like, okay, I know I'm gonna watch this movie, and I know I'm gonna watch it as a movie, and okay, I've been watching these Netflix series right. over and over and over again. So my attention span is like right. super short. I'm expecting TV plotting. Solaris is not going to give you that. No. Yeah. You have to, you have to be, yeah. Like you said, you have to jump in knowing that you're going to have to be in like almost like a self-reflective. Yeah. It's m- particular type of mood. Very much. You, you know, have to be in a Tarkovsky <laughs> mm-hmm. mood. Otherwise you won't enjoy it. Yeah really um and i don't know i mean it's hard to even get in that mood you know it's it is and you kind of have to just jump into it at the same time and and just like experience the mood that way you know for your second watch whatever your next one is like this is okay i know what to expect so this next one will be easier 
That's why, in a way, to me, because I watched them in order, I think Ivan's childhood was a little bit harder to watch just because the expectations of Solaris were different. Right. And Ivan's childhood is even less meta. I mean, it's very meditative. Right. It's very Tarkovsky. But it's it's, it's not nearly as demanding as Solaris is. Um, just because of the content and the speed of it is faster yeah, than Yeah, yeah, it's like in, what an hour and thirty four minutes or something. It's so pretty. It's, yeah, it's, it's yeah. Shorter. I think it's ninety four minutes. Yeah, I think. And then the mirror clocks in at like one o four, I think, or something like that. So they're very yeah, close. It's a little bit longer. Yeah. Um, so if you're gonna watch, I mean, the mirror probably is not a good place to start. No, it's an art the mi- film. The mirror is his most uh, personal yet just. Um, hard to figure out um it's to me i mean i still don't get a lot of it or most of it <laughs> like i i get the general ideas but right it's it's just an insane film but it's one that i can i can just revisit more and more um and try and get more out of it mm-hmm. whereas i've seen nostalgia and the sacrifice in ivan's childhood um enough where I feel like I have a really good grasp on the content. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, whereas the two that I always come back to that I'm like, oh God, I, it's almost like I've never seen them before, even though I have, would be Andre Rublev and The Mirror. Um, but by far my favorite is Stalker because I, I, I have never been able to get old. That, that, that movie does not um, get old to me. I mean, it's almost three hours long and every single fucking time I get absorbed in it. I, I lose myself in that movie. And that's why it's one of my top ten. <laughs> According to BFI, uh, the British Film Institute, the best place to start. Um, see, it says a poetic sense for the dreamlike hold of memory and the elemental grandeur of nature already shines through Tarkovsky's first feature film, Ivan's Childhood. Um, but for a sense of the director's fully developed vision, Stalker is perhaps the best entry point. Yeah, hmm. I mean, I can see it because. It demands a lot of patience because it's like almost three hours long. Um, yet, because it's sci-fi, it's a little a bit more accessible. Yeah. But he has stripped sci-fi down to the barest essentials, even <laughs> further than Solaris. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, honestly i cannot wait for the soccer episode in fact it's probably the episode that i have now been waiting for like <laughs> the, the one that i'm the most anticipated out of all the ones we've done because there's so much to talk about but yeah um yeah and it's oh, yeah i can't even according to bfi <laughs> the next film they say to watch is solaris okay so start with stalker go with solaris um and Sol- solaris is his most famous it's definitely the one that most or people stalker, know. yeah, yeah. It's like the that, one. Solaris is the one that like. <sighs> I think I, I think most people have heard of Solaris, but in my experience, I've associated Stalker with Tarkovsky way okay. more. But okay. like Solaris is like, I've definitely heard of that one, you, you know. But Stalker is more, like. Oh, that's that's a Tarkovsky, you know. Oh, that's but so funny. Solaris isn't necessarily like a Tarkovsky. Like a, my roommate came down when I was watching Solaris, and she was like, "What are you watching?" And I was like, "Solaris," and she's like, "Oh, 
I've heard of that. (laughs) 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 I know you have. (laughs) I think think most people generally know of the title Solaris. And maybe they, maybe they know a rough summary of what it's about because it, it has existed in so many forms. I think, yeah, I think it helps the fact that it was remade by Soderbergh and that people are like, Oh, you know, when they, when you probably say Solaris, they're probably not even thinking of Tarkovsky. I mean, I would say the majority and the short story too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so, you know, Tarkovsky's Solaris is actually the second film of Solaris. There was a one, there was was one before before, it. There's the TV movie also Russian, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Right. Because yeah, yeah. the the book was written by a Polish guy, so like you know, of course Russians right. are going to have access to it. Uh, according to BFI as well, they say go to Solaris, maybe try Mir next, and then Andrei Rublev, and then leave nostalgia and sacrifice for the end. In my opinion, because I've actually started. Uh, <laughs> just skip Ivan's. <laughs> well, I said Ivan's childhood was but they said stalker was probably the best point i would say right there i mean i guess in what the way their articles formatted you could assume stalker and ivan's childhood and then solaris maybe oh sure um because i think i I do think ivan's childhood is fairly accessible um to me though because i actually did start to watch andre rubelev at one point and this was a while ago before i really started to think about film i mean i thinking about film because i wanted to do film but but more you know thinking deeper about it and to me andre rublev would be the hardest of his films to watch it, it is because of the content the content unless you're really into like medieval i mean it's not even like king arthur medieval it's like you know gritty grungy medieval yeah. unless you're really into it like it's gonna be fucking boring you know what i mean <laughs> andre rublev is for me the hardest definitely to get into. it's so long too. It's, it's actually it's three hours five i think something and yeah. there's probably cuts that are even longer and it's just you're following andre rublev who's like you know it's based on the the he's a painter right and it's broken into these sections and the first section has nothing to do with any of the film. The last section is nothing yeah, to do with any of the film. Yeah, the first section is hilarious. But the first section is really interesting, but it's just, it's, it's, I mean, it's demanding. <laughs> but what's great about the beginning of the, fir- of the, the first part of Andrew Rublev is that it sums up the entire movie. I'm which sure. Which is so interesting. Yeah. But the payoff of Andrew Rublev is great. It ends on this fantastic, I don't want to say it, but these fantastic images that are unlike anything else in the rest of the film. Oh, okay. In in more ways than one. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It's 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 sure. great. You're just like, oh my god, that's how he ended this thing. It's you wouldn't expect it, but then it make it makes so much sense. You're just like, holy shit. <laughs> mm-hmm. And like for a cursory understanding of Tarkovsky, to me, Mirror is really like what I picture of Tarkovsky being yeah. this art art film mm-hmm. director. Um, yeah, you know what I he mean. Definitely, definitely art film. Yeah, uh, feel and for sure. Nostalgia has probably one of my favorite shots. Oh, you probably know which one I'm talking about, yeah. where it starts on his reflection in the pool and just slowly pulls back to reveal this house in the middle of these ruins. I mean, that shot is absolutely incredible. It's a fucking model, which is even more incredible. Yeah, like I mean, I, how else do you get that shot? Yeah, you know, because that house, but, the real house, is seen earlier in the film. Oh, okay. that's actually built and they made a model version of it and it's like done so fucking well it's it's great and then obviously the sacrifice and the burning building sequence which is you know insanely famous but oh, God. i don't know to me 
I would, you know, I would definitely say Ivan's Childhood is one of the easier ones to watch. It's it's more conventional, not mm-hmm. very, not super conventional. It's still non-linear in the sense that it jumps from yeah. one thing to another to another, but it's shorter. Ivan, the uh, the actor for Ivan is very compelling. Yeah, he's he a is. good actor. Yeah. Um, and, his eyes, man, the yeah. way he did the makeup and, and the, his eyes are just like. Oh. The fact that he made his character very much like, no, I will be an adult, yeah. and I will say no to you and fight you, and you know he's he's not um, what's the he's not like what's he's the word like, he's not like naive really or he's not passive he's not um yeah he's not he's he's like I don't know he doesn't I, I even have like that child angst yeah you he's know? not he, like he's, angsty he's, he's like he he views himself as someone much wiser than yeah than even he really is he's very much like like ivan's childhood to me is like what wes anderson thinks of kids right like his films are always the kids are adults and the adults are children and in this case it's like okay ivan's childhood he's an adult (laughs) i mean he had to grow up because he lost everything yeah and he was like if you guys are gonna put me in middle stairs i'll fucking just leave and fly solo because he seems more adult to me than the the guy that has all of them the interest with the you know with the girl and, and he's so yeah. childish yeah he's so know? childish yeah so yeah i mean i think that was definitely a, a tarkovsky you know tarkovsky did that yeah. for a reason so like to me like you know i was childhood is very watchable i think uh, the only right. the only other person that was wiser than the kid that i just got this feeling was the was the old man towards the beginning of the film that he gives the bread and water right. to. like sure because you could tell that that guy is so haunted and has seen the worst that humans can do um that only that that him and and ivan are the only two in that film that can really right that are really like the wise ones (laughs) right but kind of speaking of good shots like tarkovsky scott uh shots ivan's childhood has a lot of great just shots oh yeah Yeah, that that shot like going back to the uh, the the scene with the guy who's like trying to woo the woman in the beautiful location, <laughs> like with all the white trees yeah. and stuff, like some gorgeous moving shots, and also that shot where he he carries her or catches her over the ditch, the ditch, yeah, and like holds her and kisses her yeah. there, and her mm-hmm. feet are just yeah. dangling, and the camera actually like goes down in the ditch, you know, in, yeah, like in, it, it, yeah, it actually like it goes down in, like it's so it's such it's like oh why is the camera fall in the ditch you know like it, well, it's it, just like such a great way to shoot that yeah it's just you know because like her like like it's like her dangling there and while he's like totally in control and that's what he wants but it's not what she wants and she yeah. has no other choice but to accept the kiss from him yeah you know yeah. like it says so much about what was happening yeah you know absolutely. and it, it, it is a perfect like directorial choice you know it like if you're looking at like oh what makes a director different like what makes a good director and a bad director it's like this this person is 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 created this scenario where it perfectly represents what they're trying to say in this scene and i i I know that this whole scene is a subplot but it it works in the film and it also works outside of the film in such a great way it's hard to ignore right and it, and it's not just about a pretty image it's it's about like how it relates back to the content uh, it just seems like such a great shot like i definitely like 
would splooge all over the shot even more. You know. If I, <laughs> uh, well, it's funny because he, um, Tarkovsky says in Sculpting of, in Time, is that like, con- the f- like, conscience, conscience, and like soul, uh, have to come before technique when yeah. you're making a film. But, but his technique is so good that it's actually almost hard to distinguish which one came first when you're watching it because you're just like did he decide to shoot the this did he have the image of the the camera going into the ditch before or after he wrote that idea yeah like it's so it's so good that it as a viewer it's just like i don't know like which one came first but supposedly for him it, it's it's about the the conscious and the soul and the, and, and the emotion of it all is what mm-hmm. really matters within the film um and then the technique comes after but yeah. so uh, what i really want to do is since we brought him up on the podcast before this maybe save it till uh next episode is talking about a little bit about von trier right because he's one of the most outspoken Tarkovsky uh, influenced filmmakers. Yeah. So maybe wait till next week. We cool. can bring that up a yeah. little bit. Um, yeah. Because I, I do want to kind of bring that up, just like how you brought up Bergman. Right. Um, and, he, and and Von Trier was a big Bergman fan too. Right. So. And you know, obviously Von Trier's films are worlds different than Tarkovsky, but he he holds Tarkovsky in an extremely high yeah. regard. So. Yeah. I mean, if you see. Um, Epidemic, Europa, and the Element of Crime, those three would be the closest to Tarkovsky yeah. besides Antichrist. Antichrist, he kind of reverted back um, yeah. to kind of... I would say Tarkovsky. his dreamy dreaminess of his films are yeah. what really are Tarkovsky. Right, really, right. You know? And he, his films sure. aren't that dreamy except for those first three, especially the Element of Crime and Europa. Antichrist and, is pretty and dreamy. Antichrist. I mean, even Melancholia is yeah, pretty dreamy, it's true. though. And... Uh, all four of those would be definitely the closest to it. Epidemic would be up there too, but and I would say even Dogville and Manderley are pretty dreamy because of the way they're designed. Right. The sound is they're the the they're shot on sound stages. Yeah. With very sparse sets. And it's also kind of know? Bergmanish too because right. Persona and um, stuff are there and Cries and Whispers where Cries and Whispers is basically set almost in this just in these rooms and it's just focused on faces mm-hmm. and like dogville is kind of like that you know right. so. absolutely uh, so i feel pretty good about that that was hour and 15 minutes of tarkovsky <laughs> cool. um tark man and there's still so much to talk about there's still way more <laughs> still uh, a ton yeah i mean we're only i mean really we're scratching the surface and to really get into tarkovsky you got to you got to kind of do it on your own like yeah. we can give you you know the the places to start and things to think about but there's nothing more you can do besides watch tarkovsky and be critical about it yeah. in your own mind filmmaker or not whatever viewer you know just really think about the fact that his films i mean affected everything that came after yeah i mean it's it's a it's almost like it's the Tarantino syndrome almost where after Tarantino, everyone copied <laughs> sure. Tarantino after yeah. Tarkovsky, you know, yeah. the, you know, thing list name a bunch of filmmakers. And I can tell you that even if they hated Tarkovsky, they were influenced by Tarkovsky. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. Um, 
I have two real quick things. So, um, uh, with Ivan's childhood, like, um, how how do you guys like like the ending? You know, like that. You know that Ivan. Spoiler alert. You know. The made, no film was made in '62. I feel like we can that's say true, that's true. That's <laughs> uh, You know, Ivan. Ivan didn't make it. You know, in the way he presented that. You know, with the the, the him running. How uh, they presented it was interesting. I always love it when a character doesn't make it right. through. I think that's sort of more real right. sometimes. Yeah, yeah. There's yeah. something about the the Steven Spielberg wrapped up gift with a bow on top yeah. that I don't like. Yeah. Um. You know. Th- Say what you want about 300, but the fact that basically none of them make it out yeah. alive is fucking cool. Yeah. Um, and how they presented it in Ivan's Childhood, for some reason, if you didn't watch it for listening to the episode, basically he finds a dossier or a folder of people who were, like, gassed or hung, or I think they were hung. Yeah, um, yeah. And in it, you see a picture of Ivan. Because yeah. he was, because there's a scene in the... <laughs> Swamp where Ivan goes off, and it's the last time you see him. Incredible, scene uh, too. and then and also the thing about Ivan's childhood is even in that scene where they're on a recon mission and he goes to like kill some guys or, or yeah. whatever that are next to him, <laughs> there's never fighting in right, that movie right. ever. There's no war yeah. in a war movie, which right. is fascinating. Um, and, but yeah, so so Ivan goes off or whatever, and then you see him later. Am I stoked about how they delivered it? I don't know. I, I don't mean, know I th- I thought, how else are you supposed to do it, I like guess. I thought it was so interesting that it ends on a, on his dream, but he's dead. I thought that was so yeah. interesting. You know, because throughout... It's kind the, of where you have to end it, though, I guess, right? This is kind of cool. Like, throughout you get these dreams and these, like, dreams that are maybe flashbacks or a combination of them, you know, right. dropping the feather down the well and stuff and with his mom. And, and then it ends on this scene... It's like the perfect culmination of like you know the apples and the horses and all that, um, and from the beginning shot of him like on a crane, the you know the actor on a crane and he's like literally like floating mm-hmm. It, mm-hmm. through the trees and shit, and yeah. it's just like fuck. And then it ends on this scene of just like pure unadulterated like childish joy of a, of, a, of a little boy running, you know, into the into the water or whatever. It's it's, it's such, it's so cool because of all the horrors that he faced and then he fucking dies and then you're right. left with this guy figure finding out that this little boy died and then and then you end on the dream that the boy had but yet he's not there so i mean it's poet it's poet yeah, it's yeah. poetic it's yeah what which Tarkovsky is so is cool. i think it's cool and i think it's a nice bookend which I, to pe- it which it's one of those things because it's like before Tarkovsky, we didn't see shit like that in movies and I think the irony you know? here is that American films are so much, so much about the escapism, but it's the Soviets that are the war is so ingrained into their culture. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they have tank parades and yeah. you know, military parades, <laughs> and like, where in America do you see a tank driving down the fucking main street? Yeah. <laughs> you don't. Right. And they're the ones who need the escapism. Yeah, yeah. But what they do is like what Tarkovsky does in Ivan's childhood and it's just like, you know, here is realities of the war affecting certain people. And granted, Ivan's childhood is a bit of a more PG, I would say a more PG take on it. Yeah. Uh, because I feel like if there was actually a woman, it would be much more violent and graphic yeah, yeah. than what Ivan's childhood yeah. showed. Um, but 
I think like having it end on that point is like this is this is the break we needed after all of that yeah. like you know but yeah it's still sad it's sad you know, but it's still kind yeah. of nice because yeah, yeah. you're like you know you're finally free right. Ivan it's, you know yeah, like that type of thing and you can be with what you were looking again. for yeah. and like it's sort of it's poetic and it's sad but it's also nice and yeah. it's like it is I think the breath that Russians kind of need yeah yeah you know because especially at that time their culture is just yeah, especially at that yeah. time, you know, it's just, it's so different. Because, um, like, Stalin died right in 56, or was not in power, left left power, or whatever, in 56, and then um, that came out in 62, so. Mm-hmm. It was pretty close. Like, I mean, yeah. Russians, the political and, and military, excuse me, military aspects of their culture are so heavily ingrained that it's always what they're yeah. thinking about, yeah. you know, everything, <laughs> pretty much. And I'm not saying that because they're, like, warmongers or something, it's just that, there's you know it's they're very the they take offense to like yeah, yeah. when you bring up like war casually yeah. and like you know well like, all the revolutions that they've had you know exactly um sure. yeah so so having it i think it's a nice little it's a nice little touch so then what about like, this is the, the second one uh the ending of like uh uh solaris where you know he's he's in this world that this planet has created for him now you know what do you, what do you think of that byron so i th- i think I think I think it's great that he's like he's now in this you know he's no longer on earth but he's in what the planet has created him created for him which is which is like his version of what he liked about earth which is sense. weird it's, it's interesting too because it's it's a wet version yeah of his yeah. life yeah yeah you know I it's, mean you could automatically tell something was way off it's fucking it's I love it because it's like dark it's so pessimistic it's so pessimistic but yet yeah but yet he's able to live a semi-familial life, familiar life. I don't know. I, I just love how it's twisted. He, he, and yeah, I think he twists it. Apparently, like it's a happy ending, but for <laughs> it's a happy ending for the character, but not for the audience. Yeah. Because like, you don't know the planet's intentions. But you also don't know, yeah. like, when he kneels in front of the guy, like, is he happy? Like, what? Right. That's such a very ambiguous action yeah. to have happen. Yeah. No, that's a great point. Um, and I think the I guess the book ends in a similar way where these islands that are created on the planet are created to house and kind of imp- quote yeah. imprison right uh, the people. Um, I don't know. I I like the ending of Solaris. It's it. I get this. Like I said, the kneeling is so ambiguous, right. and having the guy look at all these books while he's being <laughs> drenched in water is so ambiguous. I like how it literally repeats the shots from the beginning. Yeah. Yeah. Um, at the same time, Slar, like, I felt like it could have ended on that cloud scene where he was talking okay. over the clouds. Okay, yeah. And I would have been kind of cool with that, too. Yeah. yeah. It had this weird sort of extended, you know, if you, if you are a literature English major person and want to talk about the plot, you know, typically you have, like, a line, the exciting incident, a slope up to the climax and right after the climax, a very short slope down his was like, okay, I'm going to give you a very gradual yeah. slope down okay, so and then it's going to end, you that, know, very Tarkovsky. <laughs> yeah. To do. This is, this is, I have, there's a reason why I had to ask those two questions for next week's episode. So I'll, that's well, yeah. why I'm, let's, let's give the listeners something to kind okay. of chew on. The ending of stalker is something that it's, it, it's, it's it's he's not spoiling it i'm not spoiling i'm not spoiling it i'm not spoiling it 
the ending of Stalker. I'm not gonna spoil it. He's I'm not, not gonna spoiling. Spoil it. <laughs> the ending of Stalker is people <laughs> debate about it so much. Okay. So I want you guys to so pay attention. I want to you guys ending. to pay attention to the ending because I'm and I was curious about how you guys felt the endings were executed for this these two films okay and how they will relate to stalkers it's in no way am i saying it's even from similar to stalkers ending i just want that discussion about the ending of all these films for next week's episode okay <laughs> so for all you listeners out there pay attention to the ending because uh professor byron over here has got uh some thoughts some thoughts on it <laughs> Um, I, I honestly, I've only seen a couple of shots out of Stalker, and I actually tried to watch Stalker. I've tried to watch Tarkovsky's films before, and I just can't, I, I just wasn't in like yeah. the Tarkovsky mindset yeah. for it. Um, so I'm really, I'm excited to, like I said, Stalker is like the top film that, of his that I wanted to see. Um, it's, it's most, I think, me <laughs> in terms of the like dystopian oh, future yeah, and the sci-fi and stuff like that so i'm very very curious um you, then, you're a big hunger games fan <laughs> oh, oh god. yeah <laughs> love it oh what my god you just scarred the tarkovsky episode <laughs> uh hunger, hunger games is my jam man give me some extra j-law for show hey, though those aspect ratios coming coming up to uh, the hey that's actually you know. a cool part of that film that, but yeah, i've actually yeah. never seen hunger games Under, and probably never will Something no one talks about because it's really hard to notice. I think, which is the point. Yeah. Um, but no, I've never seen Hunger Games and probably never will. Really, just wait. You um, haven't seen the first Hunger Games. I've never seen Hunger Games. First one actually isn't that bad. I just I like the first one. Don't yeah. give a shit. I mean, I like the, the premise of it, but like... I don't like the fact. I don't like the YA <laughs> aspect of it. <laughs> I've seen. It's very YA. Yeah, that's the problem. Give I... me some like yeah. NC seventeen Hunger Games. Yeah. And... What was that mm-hmm. Japanese battle royale? Yeah, or yeah. <laughs> well, you Just knew that before you even said it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, so we're gonna take a quick break, and we'll be back around with uh, roundtable takeaways and weekend recommends. So stick around. Welcome back. Uh, so we're going to talk about takeaways, roundtable, and weekend recommends. Um, my takeaway, because Byron... Actually, Byron, you had a takeaway early on. Do you want to just did. summarize? Uh, and I forgot about, what it was now. It was about sound design. Oh, yeah. My takeaway would be uh, sound design and how... Um, uh, I don't even remember now exactly what my train of thought was. <laughs> we were talking about how, there's like, so in, many in Solaris, but like, he... There's a the, lot of sounds. specific sounds. Yeah, there's sounds that you right. would expect to have in film and yet he doesn't have them yeah yeah he he um he brings 
what's so cool is when asked uh, to give advice um, to a beginner filmmaker, what would it be? And he said, bring yourself. Bring yeah. your experiences, mm-hmm. your um, the things that you think about to the film. That's the only way you can create a a authentic, um, true vision. Makes sense. Um, and if he believes in a tourism, then it, yeah, it makes complete sense. And you sense. have to bring yourself. So with that in mind, if he's having a particular thing like water drops or whatever in his film, there's a fucking reason for it. And whether or not it's like theme or just there's there's this a reason for it. He's bringing himself to it. Maybe he just maybe it's as simple as he loves to drink water. <laughs> yeah, right. But but he it, it's something. It's such it's such a uh, choice. Um, so I guess my takeaway is for filmmakers, you know, uh, just choices. It's all about choices. It is, you know. And for me, like when I was starting in studying filmmaking, I always had I struggled with that idea of like, why do you know? Why does every choice matter? Just fucking do it, you yeah. know. But as you continue to branch out and understand the different aspects it takes to make a film, it kind of comes naturally where, yeah. like, you're like, yeah, the choices really do matter. I mean, something as innocuous as, like, are we using the same lav mics to record? Right, right. No? Then, okay, that's yeah. going to affect how things work in the back end and how it changes things, you know? Like, just... All the choices that you make throughout making a film matter. Yeah, um, and like the hardest thing that you can achieve as a filmmaker is simplicity. Mm-hmm. And yeah. how choices will complicate that mm-hmm. um, or heighten it, depending yep. on what you do. So it's fascinating. Totally. Um, my takeaway is uh, if you're going to have a going to be slow and contemplative in your filmmaking, then it really must have a deeper meaning to it or give something for theorists to kind of chew on or read into. Otherwise, it's probably going to come off as pretentious and unwatchable. Yeah. Um, in the case of Tarkovsky, I mean, people can endlessly. I mean, I would. M- people might crucify me for this. I would go so far as to say. He is like the Shakespeare film in that his films can be endlessly read into and theorized and analyzed. Um, Maybe I'm wrong. In academia. In academia. And maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But he, he, there, there tends to be this, you know, and Shakespeare is on a level that I don't think any filmmaker can really compete with, but if you're going to compare a filmmaker to Shakespeare, I'd probably say Tarkovsky's in there. Like Tarkovsky um, and Kubrick, Bergman. Maybe probably Bergman. You know, and like probably maybe a little bit of Kubrick. Yeah. I don't know. For some reason, I pay, I have a uh, sensibility of yeah. Kubrick that's a bit and different. Ku- than and that, Kubrick but... brings genre into right. his films. So right. Whereas I, I I I'm not going with the fact that Tarkovsky's films can be endlessly remade like Shakespeare's plays can be endlessly remade it's more about the analytical aspect of shakespeare that i'm comparing about uh and how you can just constantly find something new yeah in tarkovsky because the, you can constantly the plots find something new. don't have to be remade but the ideas behind right. them can be yeah. remade. yeah so in this sense just be aware that pl- don't be afraid to be slow and contemplative meditative philosophical in filmmaking it's an art form that can do that 
just realize that if you don't actually have something for people to chew on, people are gonna hate it. I mean, this is. I'm gonna bring up the Neon Demon again. A lot of people hate it because they think it's shallow and there's nothing to chew on. And it's a slow film that has some <laughs> aspects of contemplation to it. And if you, you know, so I feel like you can read into it. Others don't. So like, try to not ride that line and make it more like okay, Tarkovsky's like. When you watch Solaris, when you watch Ivan's Childhood, you just get the sense that, okay, there is yeah. depth to this film. Because you can feel that when yeah. you watch a film. Yeah. You can feel depth. So just make sure that it's there. And that's my takeaway. What do you got, Jacob? Uh, yeah, I got... My, my takeaway connects to both of your ideas. Uh, and it this I'm going to pull a quote from his book. Um, the Time One. Uh, Sculpting with Time. So... This is straight from Ivan, or I'm sorry, straight from Tarkovsky. Working on Ivan's childhood, we encountered protests from the film authorities. Every time we tried to replace narrative causality with poetic altercations. And yet we were moving quite tentatively, still only feeling our way. There was no question of revising the basic working principles of filmmaking. But whenever the dramatic structure showed the slightest sign of something new, of treating the rationales of everyday life relatively freely, it was met with cries of protest and incomprehension. I was delighted to learn that audiences thought differently. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Uh, so I, I, I think that's great because it's essentially saying it's, it's all about process. And going through the process, you're going to run into a bunch of fears that other collaborators are going to bring to you and it is your job to weed through those fears and decide what is going to be in your film Mm -hmm. and he's essentially saying audiences are way smarter than you think (laughs) think they're they're gonna they're gonna pick up on things that that many crew members will bring to you that that crew members are going to think audiences aren't going to pick this up Mm -hmm. you know but but it's your job as the director to to weed through all the shit to find the best film and sometimes sticking to your guns is better than um you know hearing everybody out yep yeah well that's uh, yeah i i would say definitely which connects to both of your ideas and i think this is kind of the essence of tarkovsky is just like do what you think is best yeah and i I think there's something really great about that i mean it makes sense because he came from a country where literally they could censor that yeah. you know yeah so it yes. makes it makes sense and that's why he died in exile you know he mm-hmm. died in paris you know yeah. so um it's crazy i i think that's that's my f- least favorite perception of audiences when it comes to films is that they're dumb i yeah. think audiences are smarter than what we give them credit for and given the chance to really to grow in watching film they will grow you know and that's kind of what pisses me off about superhero movies is yeah, on the on the surface level, they're entertaining, but they're shallow. There's nothing. It's just it's, right. It's just a jerk off fantasy of like, <laughs> oh, I want to be a super powerful person. Well, yeah, everyone wants that, but I mean, it, sometimes like audiences, they like want to just turn their brains off. You know, and I like get that. that. That's like what television is. I get that. That's right. fair too. You know? and it's, but, but not all television, but a lot. Like a lot of sitcoms are just like you already know the characters mm-hmm. and. 
you just kind of want to hear them say their catchphrase. And I certainly watch things where it's like I want to turn my brain off and just oh, yeah. have it play. Same. But I wish that yeah. wasn't as glorified as heavily yeah. through like Marvel and stuff like that as it right. is nowadays. I, I, this is where I th- I think I would I would say that this is a result of human behavior versus a result of well I I think I I think it Marvel is a result of human behavior so I think if people are working jobs that are really hard they want to come home and watch a Marvel movie versus a Tarkovsky where they have to put in work for yep however if we're pushing to like a different era of humanity where automation begins then i think movies like solaris and more artful things will be more prevalent in people's lives Mm -hmm. and it's just a question of whether we're gonna get there as a as humanity as a whole or whether the rich will continue to get rich yeah i mean that's yeah that's a super interesting concept the closest thing that we can get to tarkovsky now on like a mainstream level is like moonlight you know what i mean yeah, it's a film that's not as yeah yeah. That's the say, that's the only the, the 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 closest thing that we could get to to car, to like Tarkovsky now is a film like Moonlight, when it comes to reaching yeah. a wide audience, and I I, yeah. I I find that a little sad because art film now is just oh that's an art film yeah it's like no 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 it's a film you yeah. know what I mean like I, I, art film has I mean has been demonized essentially by hollywood has been demonized as it's like well they're over there in their corner because there's movies like marvel then there's film like moonlight and then there's art film Mm -hmm. and it's a just the the film and art film thing just kind of pisses me off (laughs) i'm okay with the movie versus film but the art film and film thing is like yeah come on it's pretty yeah (laughs) it's unfortunate because it creates a bias that doesn't actually exist exactly um yeah all right, so let's do a quick roundtable. This is actually super hard. Yeah, this is fucking. I have this been, is really hard. This is probably the hardest episode for roundtable that we've ever done. Um, <laughs> I have no fucking idea. because it's like it's so like purely taste. It is like it's purely like what was your experience of the film, and it's so hard. There, there's no genre to really connect to. Like, there's nothing hard boiled about this for Keith. There, the the tone of these are very similar mm-hmm. for Byron. And yep. I feel like you guys are like have no idea what I'm even for. Ja- Jacob is literally a wild card right yeah, now. No, like, seriously, I literally because, have because no idea. I mean, with Solaris, with, with Jacob, it's it has some beautiful moments of a relationship and how that, like, how haunting a relationship can be and how it can fucking haunt you. How you can break yeah. break up with someone or a death could happen and and and. And that you're haunted by that, but then when given the chance to basically have that again, and then have that basically continue and continue and continue, is fascinating to me. And I find that something that you would also find fascinating and like about Solaris, but also Ivan's childhood about the innocence of a of a young boy who has to become a man and has to um, find within himself something that most children can't do, but because of the circumstance of war. And then ending on this like dream, and so it's like I don't. That's I, both of those things are so fucking Jacob that I don't know which one. To well, pick. I think <laughs> since we're talking about Jacob, I think I think you're right. I think I think it's Solaris, 
because of the relationship aspects of it. And Ivan's childhood, you can't really call coming of age because I don't think it is. I think it's it's because he's, he's already right. Hardened, it's sort of sense. touching on it, but not like full blown like some other movies can be. Yeah. But I think Solaris kind of captures like, and I mean this in a very serious way, like the ghost aspects of things. Yeah. Like the the relationship and and trying to understand each other in this other sort of realm, mm-hmm. um, because in a sense she's a fucking ghost. She, really? Yeah. yeah. You know, yeah. Um, she's like, yeah. She's a repeating apparition. I mean, she's the a guys, ghost in the shell. Yeah, I mean, really. <laughs> like, and I think that is what really carries it. So I'm gonna. I think you're right. I think Solaris for Jacob is like the one for I, pretty much everything you just described. Yeah, I mean, I think Solaris too, in the sense of like <sighs> Solaris. I think it is Solaris. I, I think. It's Solaris. I've heard both. I've heard Solaris and I've heard Solaris. I think Solaris, it's Solaris. So it's like, yeah. I think I'm just saying it um, wrong. Solaris, Mike. No. Uh, <laughs> I, I, there's something about Solaris that's like very, um, uh, uh, you can watch it over and over again and get something new out of it where Ivan's childhood, not so much. So I think maybe that's yeah. another thing that you'd like about it. All right. Which is it, Jacob? Well, I, I will say that um, normally I'm not a fan of filmmakers' directorial debuts. Like, normally I'm like, wow, this is, like, really cool. Really? But, well, like, normally. Okay. Normally okay. I'm like that. Okay. Um, I wonder what you think of Pusher with Refn then. <laughs> right. I haven't, I, haven't, I haven't seen all of them. I mean, but normally, like, a directorial film, it's like, yeah, they're kind of, like, starting out and starting to like figure out what their voice is almost. But as far as Tarkovsky goes, man, I really freaking liked. I no way. We're both wrong. <laughs> no, I way. was, uh, I was pretty wowed. I was pretty floored. Uh, I like the, there's so much about wow. it that I thought was great. And just, awesome. and I, I might have a bias where like, it, because it was a debut, I didn't really think it, I wasn't giving it its fair shot, you know. So maybe that's why I liked it more. But I just kind of dug it, you know. I dug what it was doing. I dug what it was saying. Um, that's and so This funny, is probably though. the only time where I'm picking a a four by three black and white movie over a was it four by three by nine yeah. color film. Yeah. So. I didn't even notice. When it's I not shot it. as if it was. It's shot so epic. It's shot so epically that it doesn't seem like a four three. Yeah, weird. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) that's cool. I'm I'm going with going with Ivan. That's interesting because I actually really like debuts. Yeah, yeah. Debuts to me are like the the stripped away all the bullshit stripped away all like. This is what they thought of when they wanted to make a film. Right, right. And this is what they you know because the debut is is like. You have nothing behind you yeah. to to convince yeah, people raw. that you can make a film. Yeah. So you're just doing it. And you're fucking, you know, Wild West fucking, yeah, yeah. you know, gunslinger. Like, I, I don't know. <laughs> I like debuts, but. Um, no, I, I get what you're saying. I, I can see what people do. Personally, don't. I'm just, I'm a fan of that blend of, like, studio and art film. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. I, we just talked about art film and how shitty that phrases which totally makes sense but like i like that blend so like i like i'm really excited for Anna Liliama Poor's next project because i think it's gonna be a little more accessible 
you know mm-hmm. i don't know yeah but fair enough in this case it was totally the opposite with tarkovsky fair so enough I don't really know. all right oh wow i yeah. think um i feel like we should leave byron for last okay something about his yeah i think we should <laughs> yeah just because so, he's such God, a fucking this, nut. this is still hard man for keith like <laughs> is, it, is it hard it's hard i think shouldn't be hard it should be easy it's hard because i know that you love 2001 a space odyssey that movie i know is one of your favorite films i think i said that on the last episode with don so i listed my top 10 if you listened you would know because of that I feel like there could be like a real hatred for Solaris because it's so different or a real appreciation because they were like, in a sense, two filmmakers that at the same time were like maturing as artists, but also really um, pushing film. You also got to remember, too, that I also was under the impression that Tarkovsky saw 2001 and was heavily influenced by it, too. Okay, yeah. okay. I saw, so I, and, I definitely... And if, and if you said that you like the abuse, then, then maybe Ivan's childhood is greater. I I, but it's still tough for me because I feel you're a fan of, like, epics. And Solaris is an epic, as, as, is, as is, like, Apocalypse Now. Keith also said that he way prefers 2001 over Solaris like in this episode okay I did I did say that I feel like that's I did say okay that. so I could be a I guess I'll, I'll have be. to I'll have to go with Ivan's childhood because I know that you're also really into black and white and the black and white cinematography for this is insane it's very good insane very like good. the scenes with the 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 <laughs> the, 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 the water and the reflections with the the flares the flares it's, it's just like how the fuck did they like take their light meter and get that right? No, but know? actually, yeah, it's actually, just like yeah. holy shit. Um, but also, I know you're. I think you like war films too, and this is, I think, a different type of war film that maybe you hadn't seen before, and maybe yeah. it kind of surprised you or whatever too. So this is why um, I guess it is tougher than I thought. I thought it'd it, be easy. But, it's yeah. tough, but I, I'd have to go with Irish Child. I don't okay. know, but I, I could be. I could. I could be wrong. Okay, I'm. I'm gonna go with ivan's and i i think even if ivan's was in color you would still go with ivan's because of what byron just said about how this is a war film that is just as effective without the the violence in it you know like it's so anti-war and it doesn't need to have the 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 ultra violence to kind of tell its side. I mean, and I think you. I think there was something about this film that, like you appreciated that aspect of it and how effective it was in spite of not having those things. I mean, it's 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 a- as anti-war in the same way as Apocalypse Now is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. You know, yeah. um, and I know yes. that Apocalypse Now is one of your favorite films, though. And they both have flares on water. <laughs> Coppola stole that. <laughs> Yeah, um. flares water. <laughs> uh, so you're both wrong. Oh, oh no! Okay. Yeah. So fuck. Um, I was so fucking close to so hard. This is hard. Oh my god! I thought I, I thought like it'd be easy. I thought it'd be oh, kind of obvious. obvious. God, see that's the thing is like, <sighs> see I knew that there's something about sci-fi that I know that Keith likes. Like I know that 2001 is such a big thing for you. It really is that. Oh my 
2001 is absolutely one of the most mind-blowing movies I always can watch, like, every time. Like, I just, I mean, I could throw it on tonight and watch it tomorrow morning and be, like, just, and love it. Like, it's just, it's so, and I get that that threw it off with Solaris. Fuck. Um, there's, Damn. I don't care about the the relationship aspects of Solaris right, as right. much. I do like how more, how philosophical it is yeah yeah like it is it's very odd to think about how like what if we did encounter this alien planet yeah that has a consciousness that is <laughs> by you know thousands and hundreds of thousands of years ahead of our own development um ivan's childhood i found to be kind of boring okay unfortunately mm. um it was like a three star but Solaris was like four and a half oh, okay. it was like yeah yeah you know, just a little yeah. bit, pretty close to like a five out of five. There was just some aspects that were kind of like, you know, whatever. I feel like it could have been cut down a little bit. Yeah. Even in still maintaining the meditative aspect. But I'd, I'd go with Solaris okay. just over. It just, the ending, I think, is what really solidified it. Because it was just like, I, I just like pessimistic endings, yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, I just yeah, like, yeah, I yeah. dig, yeah. I yeah. dig the like, just, man, you, sense. you're stuck. That's awesome. And you're stuck, yeah. you know. Um, and it just—it was just—it was weird. It was I mean, weird you like that movie more for all the reasons I thought you'd like that movie. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like yeah, that's pretty that's much. Fun. Yeah, that's, that's there was just funny. something about Ivan's childhood where I don't know if it was because I watched them. It was like Monday and then Tuesday or something, and then like I don't know if I was more ready. Like I said, like after watching Ivan's childhood, I had an expectation of how to watch Solaris. Right. Right. But there was just something about Ivan's childhood that I just kind of found boring. Okay, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And I don't. Maybe I. Maybe I do need more in more movies. I don't know. But there was just something about it. That was like, mm, I don't know. Yeah, maybe I got to yeah. rewatch it. I don't know. It's hard. It's hard to say. Um, but you I, obviously need like hipster lessons. I think. I think so. They, yeah. you're, you're losing your your hipster value. I know. <laughs> I know. What happened? Well, so maybe next week I'll just hate stalker and then I'll be super hipster <laughs> yeah. again. <laughs> But yeah, uh, Solaris, um, you know, like I said, three out of five, probably like four and a half out of five. Oh, wow. Cool. I, really, cool. I just really dig sci-fi. I yeah. Don't know. No, that's awesome. So, all right. Sweet. Byron, this is the hardest out of the hardest that we've tried to do here as Jacob <laughs> decides to just walk the fuck away. So, um, oh, man, I'm going to go with Solaris. I don't know. Ivan's Childhood is a serious movie, but I feel like in terms of Tarkovsky, Solaris is more like mature. Okay. And probably because Ivan's is like his earlier movie, but it just seems more childish than Solaris is. And I feel like Solaris's demand for seriousness, its length, its tonality, its cinematography just like everything about it just seems to really I don't know just jive with you I think but obviously <laughs> you like all sorts of movies I mean like, yeah. we're surrounded by stacks <laughs> of movies in this room currently of every genre you know so like but I, and I just I don't know I feel like we kind of talked about Solaris more yeah um and then you talked about maybe I think just trying to think back I think you talked about it more so I think your interest in it okay, is yeah, there yeah yeah I just think yeah I, I'm gonna go with Solaris okay cool. I don't want to add too cool. much more to that we're running pretty long 
I'm gonna go with Solaris because of the good lens lens flares. <laughs> the lens the, <laughs> the lens flare scene where they're like carrying him to the room. <laughs> that was an epic yeah. epic lens flare. I'm not gonna lie. Um, no, I think obviously your taste for it is 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 greater than just and Solaris, Solaris was shot on anamorphic lenses. So right. Like I mean. Yeah. Yeah. You, you can't on. go wrong with anamorphic. No. Yeah. You, you guys are both right. Um, oh, nice. Solaris is definitely my favorite. But how close are they? Um, they're actually pretty far. Oh. Ivan's childhood okay. is my least favorite Tarkovsky. Movie. Wow. Yeah. 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 Okay. I like. I like it. It's a good. I mean, it's a solid film. And I and I hold Tarkovsky in very high regard. But um, it's my least favorite of all of his films. I think you like. That's why I got the feeling that the esoteric aspects of solaris and the rest of his yeah. filmography is what really gets yeah i love esoteric shit man i yeah. love esoteric and i that's why i cannot wait to talk about soccer but solaris there's something about it that i can just turn off everything right you know turn off the world almost turn that on and i can just kind of immerse myself in it and try and think about it but like you said too there's something about the ending that it, it, that's so like pessimistic and and i just love the idea that he uses the planet Solaris as something you know that is making the viewer think about themselves you know like in a sense Solaris which is a fucking planet which you almost can't get bigger than a planet in a sense of like a body Mm -hmm. and it's almost like a mind because it's fucking with humans it's It's a planet that's entirely covered in water yeah and it's you know which is it's like it's jelly yeah. And it's and it's um, giving you these very human things. It's tapping into something that you know. It's like it's like if, if it's like say you know someone that the closest person that you're you're, you're with the, the the person that you love the most, whether you're whether you realize it or not, mm-hmm. you know, dies and then. And then you get the chance to to be with them again, and how th- that's just so fascinating to me. I don't know how to describe it. Um, that's cool. And I, it's not so much the relationship part of it; it's just the idea of that, and how that how he tapped into sci-fi as something human mm-hmm. um, is so cool. And I love it in the complete opposite way that, that I love two thousand one, because two thousand one again, same genre, but it's completely concentrated on something so yeah. different but yet they're the same genre and i love that about both of yeah. those movies. i like how they exist movies. on a spectrum and exactly. you can't you can't watch one yeah i mean you can watch them so differently and and that's how that's why i think film is like one of the the greatest art form because yeah. you can't do that with a book right I mean, look at all the uh, sci-fi films I read off earlier on the top mm-hmm. ten list. Like how mm-hmm. different they all are. Yeah, you know, it's it was interesting to watch because I, I expected more of a two thousand one out of this movie, and the fact that it wasn't was kind of satisfying. And yeah. satisfying is what I would call the ending too, right. in a weird way. Right. It just yeah. yeah, the way it ended was like bad. It was downer, pessimistic, maybe hopeless. Yeah. But it was satisfying. That's actually how I feel about this whole episode. I think this is maybe my most satisfying episode that we've done so far. Awesome. <laughs> we'll just have to end it on a pessimistic note. <laughs> so we have... Maybe some death. Jacob had Ivan's, right? Yours yeah. is Ivan's, Solaris, and Solaris. Yeah. Solaris. So, yeah. All right, cool. Yeah, two yeah. two Solaris. Which, awesome. you know, that, make, that makes sense. 
Yeah, I think so. <laughs> yeah, I think it does make sense. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Yeah. The uh, I looked up the pronunciation of Solaris, and it it varies. Uh, just for the listener's sake, it varies depending on where you live. So in a lot of uh, English and UK countries, it, they pronounce it Solaris, but in America, it's more common to say Solaris. Huh. So cool. it's really the, the cool. well that makes sense for more European in what we in what we like. <laughs> okay, fair enough. Solar- so however you want to yeah. say it, then it's yeah. not an exact science, but there's no uh, wrong way to say yeah. it. Cool. All right. So this week's weekend recommends comes from Emily Ruth, who says another Earth. I always tell people that watching this movie is like going to a museum. It's quiet and slow, but leaves you feeling awake and alive and like you just saw something special. The acting is superb, the music is beautiful and eerie, and it's a movie that makes you think. It got me on a Brit Marling, who's the lead actress, kick, and she's actually amazing in everything. I would definitely check this one out if you like beautiful movies that make you think. Uh, thank you for that recommendation. Um, check out Another Earth. Um, I haven't seen this, but I think I've heard of this one. So yeah, I you know, it's funny. That's the one that got Britt Marling known um, okay. and that director and I have yet to see it but I remember it being it exploded on the scene and people a lot of people were talking about it and because of that movie mm. I've seen the other films that they've done together I've heard of this um, one yep. mm. Mike, so, Mike Cahill is the director yeah so uh, I need I've to check that one. out yeah, I, I've, I've completely forgotten about that film wow he's done uh, for anyone else he's done uh, oh, he edited Leonard Cohen, I'm Your Man, and he edited Everyone Stares, The Police Inside Out, but he directed Another Earth and then I Origins. So he's only done two films. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, but keep your eye out. I've This is an interesting plot for, for that one, for Another Earth. I've definitely... The, the idea is that uh, pretty much suddenly this, like, well... Uh, there's like a mirror Earth, essentially. I thought it was sudden, but there's essentially two Earths, and the Earth, the other Earth, is so close that you can like see its wow. features, um, and and the kind of the existential crisis, I guess, that you deal with when dealing with that. It'd probably probably be a good uh, double feature with Melancholia. Probably, actually. <laughs> it was made on a budget of a hundred grand too, which is mm. insanely low. Yeah, so wow. Check that out. Check out another Earth. Uh, all right. So if you have any questions or opinions, send an email to btbfilmspodcast at gmail.com. You can also visit our Facebook page to comment on or discuss this week's, this week's episode or any past episodes. If you like the show, please, please, please rate it five stars wherever you listen, uh, especially on the Apple platforms because it helps others find us. You can also follow us on Letterboxd at jcfoltz24 for Jacob and Hyperion creator for me. Um, next week, we'll be talking Tarkovsky Part 2 with Stalker and the Sacrifice. So like we said earlier, we're not going to cover all of his films. Uh, we had to make a executive decision on which ones to actually cover. It was a tough decision, but we landed on these two to kind of round it out. Um, and we'll focus on this idea of uh, dramatic unity because there's a very distinct line with Tarkovsky's films where he had a style and, I, and philosophy about filmmaking, and that changed. Uh, for his later films so check out stalker and the sacrifice and make sure you watch those to be part of the discussion thanks for listening thanks guys bye (laughs) 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 the tarkovsky patient silence there the moment of silence
<laughs> uh, good. You got my. You got the reference. The silence. <laughs> I'm glad. The silence, which is actually.